Chapter 11 of Historic Ghosts and Ghost Hunters. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dan Gerzinski. Historic Ghosts and Ghost Hunters by Henry Addington Bruce. Ghost Hunters of Yesterday and Today. Psychical research, of which so much mention has been made in the preceding pages, may be roughly yet sufficiently described as an effort to determine by strictly scientific methods the nature and significance of apparitions, hauntings, spiritistic phenomena, and those other weird occurrences that would seem to confirm the idea that the spirits of the dead can and do communicate with the living. It is something comparatively new, and like all scientific behavior, is the outgrowth of many minds. But so far as its origin may be attributed to any one man, credit must chiefly be given to a Cambridge University professor named Henry Sidgwick. At the time, Sidgwick was merely a lecturer in the university, a post given him as a reward for his brilliant career as an undergraduate. He was a born student and investigator, a restless seeker after knowledge. Philosophy, sociology, ethics, economics, mathematics, the classics, he made almost the whole wide field of thought his sphere of inquiry, and after a while, as is so often the case, his learning became too profound for his peace of mind. He had been born and brought up in the faith of the English church, and had unhesitatingly made the religious declaration required of all members of the university faculty. But little by little he felt himself drifting from the moorings of his youth, and doubting the truth of the ancient doctrines and traditions. Honestly skeptical, but still unwilling to lose his hold on religion, he turned feverishly to the study of Oriental languages, of ancient philosophies, of history, of science, in the hope of finding evidence that would remove his doubts. But the more he read, the greater grew his uncertainty, especially with respect to the vital question of the existence of a spiritual world and its relation to mankind. While he was still laboring in this valley of indecision, Sidgwick was visited by a young man, Frederick W. H. Myers, who had studied under him a few years earlier and for whom he had formed a warm friendship. Myers, it seemed, was tormented by the same scruples that were harassing him. It was his belief, he told Sidgwick, that if the teachings of the Bible were true, if there existed a spiritual world which in days of old had been manifest to mankind, then such a world should be manifest now. And one beautiful starlit evening, when they were strolling together through the university grounds, he put to his old master the pointed question. Do you think that, although tradition, intuition, metaphysics have failed to solve the riddle of the universe, there is still a chance of solving it by drawing from actual observable phenomena, ghosts, spirits, whatsoever it may be, valid knowledge as to a world unseen? Gazing gravely into the eager face of his companion and weighing his words with the caution that was characteristic of him, Sidgwick replied that he had indeed entertained this thought, that, although not over-hopeful of the result, he believed such an inquiry should be undertaken, notwithstanding the unpleasant notoriety it would entail on those embarking in it. Would he, then, make the quest? and would he permit Myers to pursue it by his side? Long and earnestly the two friends talked together, and when their walk ended, 
that December night in 1869, psychical research had at last come definitely into being. In the beginning, however, progress was painfully slow and uncertain. Our methods, as Myers afterward explained, were all to make. In those early days, we were more devoid of precedence, of guidance, even of criticism that went beyond mere expressions of contempt than is now readily conceived. It was realized that no mere analysis of alleged experiences in the past would do, that what was needed was a rigid scrutiny of present-day manifestations of a seemingly supernormal character, and the collection of a mass of well-authenticated evidence sufficient to justify inferences and conclusions. Earnestly and bravely the friends went to work, and before long had the satisfaction of finding an invaluable assistant in the person of Edmund Gurney, another Cambridge man, and an enthusiast in all matters metaphysical. At first, to be sure, Gurney entered into psychical research in a half-hearted quizzical way, expecting to be amused rather than instructed, and he derived little encouragement from the investigations carried on by Sidgwick, Myers, and himself in the fields of spiritistic mediumship. Fraud seemed always to be at the bottom of the phenomena produced in the seance room. But his interest was suddenly and permanently awakened by the discovery, following several years spent in patiently collecting evidence, of facts pointing to the possibility of thought being communicated from mind to mind by some agency other than the recognized organs of sense. At once he made it his special business to accumulate data bearing on this point his labors ultimately leading him into an exhaustive examination of hypnotism, as he found that the hypnotic trance seemed peculiarly favorable to thought transference or telepathy. Meantime, the example of this little Cambridge group had been followed by other investigators, and in 1876, before no less dignified and conservative a body than the British Association for the Advancement of Science, the proposal was made that a special committee be appointed for the systematic examination of spiritistic and kindred phenomena. The idea was broached by Dr. W. F. Barrett, professor of physics at the Royal College of Science, Dublin, and was warmly seconded by Dr. Alfred Russell Wallace and Sir William Crookes, two distinguished scientists who had already made adventures in psychical research and were destined to wide renown as ghost hunters. For some reason, nothing was done at the time, but five years later, Professor Barrett renewed his suggestion, asking Myers and Gurney if they would join him in the formation of such a society. That, they replied, they would gladly do, provided Sidgwick could be induced to accept its presidency. Having long before realized that the field was too extensive for thorough exploration by any individual, however gifted, Sidgwick willingly gave his consent, and accordingly, in January 1882, the now celebrated Society for Psychical Research was formally organized, its first council including, besides Sidgwick, Myers, Gurney, and Barrett, such men as Arthur J. Balfour, afterward Prime Minister of Great Britain, the brilliant Richard Hutton, Professor Balfour Stewart, and Frank Podmore, than whom no more merciless executioner of bogus ghosts is wielding the axe today. Unfortunately, the First Council also numbered several avowed spiritists, 
Notably, the medium Stainton Moses and the Society's birthplace was in the rooms of the British National Association of Spiritualists. These two facts created a widespread suspicion that the Society was actually nothing more than an adjunct to the spiritistic movement. Nor was confidence wholly restored by the hasty withdrawal of the spiritistic representatives as soon as they learned that strictly scientific methods of inquiry were to prevail, or by the accession, as Honora remembers, of national figures like W. E. Gladstone, John Ruskin, Lord Tennyson, A. R. Wallace, Sir William Crookes, and G. F. Watts. To the scientific as well as the popular consciousness, the society was little better than an assemblage of cranks, with strangely fantastic notions and only too likely to lose its mental balance and help ignorant and superstitious people to lose theirs. Conscious, however, of the really serious and important nature of their enterprise, and cheered by Gladstone's comforting assurance that no investigation of greater moment to mankind could be made, the members of the society applied themselves zealously to the business that had brought them together. Sensibly enough, they adopted the principle of specialization and division of labor. While one group carried on experiments designed to prove or disprove the telepathic hypothesis, another engaged in a systematic examination of the alleged facts of clairvoyance. A third in its turn, under the skillful guidance of Gurney, investigated the phenomena of the hypnotic trance, with results unexpectedly beneficial to medical science. A special committee was also appointed to collect and sift evidence as to the reality of apparitions and hauntings, making, whenever possible, personal examinations of the seers of the visions and the places of their occurrence. Finally, there were various subcommittees of inquiry into the physical phenomena of spiritism, the knockings, table-turnings, production of spirit forms, and similar marvels of the Dunglas home type of medium. From the outset, these subcommittees demonstrated the value of psychical research as a protection to the interest of society by exposing, one after another, the fraudulent character of the pretended intermediaries between the seen and the unseen world. In this region of inquiry, no one was more successful than a recruit from distant Australia by name Richard Hodgson. Hodgson, unlike Sidgwick and Myers, and many others of his associates, had not engaged in psychical research from the hope that the truths of the Bible might thereby be demonstrated. His motive was that of the detective, eager to unravel mysteries. From his boyhood, he had had a singular fondness for solving tricks and puzzles of all sorts, and when, in 1878, he came to England to complete his education at Cambridge, he naturally gravitated into the company of Sidgwick, Myers, and Gurney, as men busied in an undertaking that appealed to his detective instinct. He was radically different from them in temperament and point of view, not at all mystical, full of animal spirits, fond of all manner of sports, and interested in occult subjects only so far as they furnished working material for his nimble and inquiring mind. The Cambridge trio, however, took kindly to him invited him to join the Society for Psychical Research, and two years after its formation were instrumental in sending him to India to investigate the methods of Madame Blavatsky, the high priestess of the Theosophic movement, which was then winning adherence throughout the civilized world. 
From this inquiry he returned to England with an international reputation as a detective of the supernatural. With the aid of two disgruntled confederates of the Theosophist leader, he had demonstrated the falsity of the foundations on which her claims rested, and had shown that downright swindling constituted a large part of her stock in trade. With redoubled ardor, he now plunged into the task of exposing the spiritistic mediums plying their vocation in England, and for this purpose enlisted the assistance of a professional conjurer, S. J. Davy, who was also a member of the Society for Psychical Research. Davy, after a little practice, succeeded in duplicating by mere sleight of hand many of the most impressive feats of the mediums, doing this indeed so well that some spiritists alleged that he was, in reality, a medium himself. Hodgson, for his part, by clever analysis of the Davy performances and of the feats of Davy's mediumistic competitors, brought home to his colleagues in the Society for Psychical Research a lively sense of the folly of depending on the human eye as a detector of fraudulent spiritistic phenomena. His crowning triumph came with this exposure of Eustapia Palladino, the Italian medium who is still enjoying an undeserved popularity on the European continent. But in time, even Hodgson met his Waterloo, sent to the United States to investigate the trance phenomena of Mrs. Leonora Piper, he was forced to confess that in her case, the theory of fraud fell to the ground, and, as is well known, he ended by developing into an out-and-out -out spiritist. A few days before Christmas, 1905, he suddenly died in Boston, and if reports from the spirit world may be accepted, the once-renowned ghost-hunter has himself become a ghost, visiting in especial two of his American colleagues, Professor William James and Professor James H. Hislop. To return, however, to the early days of the Society for Psychical Research, valuable as were the results obtained by Hodgson and his associates on what may be called the anti-swindle committees, they had a distinctly negative bearing on the supreme object of inquiry, proof of the existence of a spiritual world in which human personality exists after the death of the body. Some enthusiasts did not hesitate to proclaim at an early date that such proof had actually been secured, basing this assertion on the seemingly supernatural facts brought to light by the committees on telepathy, clairvoyance, and apparitions. But the society, under the leadership of the cautious Sedgwick, who was its president for many years, steadily refused to countenance this view, and insisted that before any definite conclusions could be reached, far more evidence would have to be assembled. Thus, the first ten years of the society's existence were marked by few positive results, the most important being the statement of the case for telepathy and of its possible relationships to apparitions and hauntings, as well as to the purely psychical phenomena of spiritualism. Indeed, the Society formally expressed its acquiescence in the telepathic hypotheses as early as 1884. In the words, Our society claims to have proved the reality of thought transference, of the transmission of thoughts, feelings, and images from one mind to another by no recognized channel of sense. But to no other dictum did it commit itself until ten years more had passed when, following the so-called census of hallucinations, it gave voice to its belief that, between deaths and apparitions of the dying person, a connection existed that was not due to chance. 
and since then the society has contented itself with steadily accumulating evidence designed to throw light on the causal connection between deaths and ghosts and to illumine the central problem of demonstrating scientifically the existence of an unseen world and the immortality of the soul individuals of course have been free to express their views and from the pens of several have come striking and suggestive analyses of the evidence assembled in the course of the society's twenty-five years in this respect beyond any question primacy must be given the writings of myers even before the organization of the society his personal researches had led him to suspect that whatever the truth about the life beyond the grave there was reason for radical changes of belief regarding the nature of human personality itself in the light of the phenomena of the hypnotic trance clairvoyance hallucinations and even of natural sleep it seemed to him that instead of being a stable and divisible unity human personality was essentially unstable and divisible and as the years passed and he was enabled to coordinate the results of the investigations carried on by the different committees he gradually became convinced that over and beyond the self of which man is normally conscious there existed in every man a secondary self endowed with faculties transcending those of the normal wake-a-day self to this he gave the name of the subliminal self and in the words of professor james endowed psychology with a new problem the exploration of the subliminal region being destined to figure thereafter in that branch of learning as myers's problem not content with this he gave himself with all the earnestness that had originally drawn him into activity with sidgwick to the formulation of a cosmic philosophy based on the hypotheses of the subliminal self and its operations in that unseen world of whose existence he no longer doubted here he had laid himself open to the charge of extravagance and transcendentalism and undoubtedly exceeded the logical limit but for all that his labors cut short by death six years ago and only a few months after the death of his beloved master sidgwick had been little short of epic-making and amply sufficed to vindicate the existence of the once despised and still by no means venerated society for psychical research sir william crooks sir oliver lodge and mr frank podmore are other members of the society who have granted the outside world informative glimpses of its workings and discoveries sir william crooks of course is best known as a great chemist discoverer of the element thallium an inventor of numerous scientific instruments while sir oliver lodge's most striking work has been in electricity and more particularly in the direction of improving wireless telegraphy but both have long been actively interested in psychical research and perhaps most of all in those phases of it bearing on the telepathic hypothesis their great aim being to discover just what the technique of telepathic communication from mind to mind may be mr podmore on the other hand like richard hodgson has chiefly concerned himself with psychical research from the detective or critical standpoint he began his labors late in the seventies associating himself with the cambridge group and has consistently maintained the attitude of a skeptical though open-minded investigator today to a certain extent he may be said to occupy the place so long filled by henry sidgwick as a sane restraining influence on the less judicial members of the society 
who would unhesitatingly brush aside all objections and embrace the spiritistic hypotheses with all its supernatural implications of course psychical research has by no means been confined to the english organization all over the world investigators are now probing into the mysteries of the seemingly supernormal but as a general thing their methods scarcely reach the strict standards set by the organized inquirers of england and as a natural consequence they are more easily deceived by tricksters this is particularly true of the european ghost hunters whose laxity of procedure not to say gullibility was clearly shown by the ease with which hodgson exposed the pretensions of eusapia palladino after continental savants had pronounced her feats genuine and it is even more strikingly exhibited by the pathetic fidelity with which they still trust in her notwithstanding the hodgson exposure and the fact that they themselves have on more than one occasion caught her committing fraud in the united states however psychical research worthy of the name took root early owing to the establishment of an american branch of the english society under the capable direction of dr hodgson a year or so ago after his death this branch was abandoned but in its place and organized along similar lines there has arisen the american institute for scientific research the creation of professor james h hislop until a few years ago occupant of the chair of logic at columbia university professor hislop is unquestionably one of the most conspicuous figures in psychical research in this or any other country like professor sidgwick he first became interested in the subject through religious doubt and forthwith attacked its problems with the zeal of a man whose principal characteristics are intense enthusiasm resourcefulness of wit and intellectual fearlessness as everybody knows his experiences with mrs piper led him to unite with hodgson and myers in regarding the spiritistic hypotheses as the only one capable of explaining all the phenomena encountered but he is nonetheless able and eager to expose fraud wherever found and if only from the police viewpoint his society will undoubtedly do good work associated with him are many of the american investigators formerly identified with the english society some of whom notably professor william james of harvard the dean of psychical research in the united states also keep up their connection with the parent organization summing up the results of the really scientific ghost haunting of the last twenty-five years it may be safely said that if the hunters have not accomplished their main object of definitely proving the existence of a spiritual world their labors have nevertheless been of high value in several important directions they have exposed the fraudulent pretensions of innumerable charlatans and have thus acted as a protection for the credulous they have shown that making all possible allowance for error of whatever kind there still remains in the phenomena of apparitions clairvoyance etc a residuum not explainable on the hypotheses of fraud or chance coincidence they have aided in giving validity to the idea of the influence of suggestion as a factor both in the cause and the cure of disease they have given a needed stimulus to the study of abnormal mental conditions and finally by the discovery of the impressive facts that led myers to formulate his hypotheses of the subliminal self they have opened the door to far-reaching reforms in the whole sociological domain in education 
in the treatment of vice and crime, in all else that makes for the uplifting of the human race. End of Historic Ghosts and Ghost Hunters by Henry Addington Bruce